Wow, how great thou art, O oh Lord. And Lord, no matter how loud, no matter how excited, no matter how harmonious our worship is, you deserve so much more. Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you that we are able to be together here in person, online. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. And Lord, we just declare that you are great. You are great in all your ways. You're great in your love. You're great in your mercy. You're great in your grace. You're great in your righteousness. You're great in your judgments. Lord, you are just so awesome. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue working among us here today. We open our hearts to you and we say yes. We give you freedom to reorder the files in our filing cabinets of our hearts and our minds. We give you freedom to erase, to rewrite, to restore, to do what you need to do in our filing systems, Lord, so that we can be aligned with you. We thank you. We thank you that you are alive, you speak, you work, you create. Have freedom here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Can you tell I'm excited? I'm very excited. You know, Paul says, even if you have 10,000 teachers... I wish that you had a few fathers. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm delighted that we have a true father among us. And uh, Pastor Ian has been a good friend and a father to the Armenian Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene. Uh, Vahram is pointing his finger to him, his chest and he's saying to him, yes, to you as well. And you know, a father isn't a father to an abstract thing. He's a father to individuals. And the church is made up of individuals. And so Pastor Ian, back in the days when this congregation, AECN, was still meeting at Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene, at Jane and Shepherd, Pastor Ian was there and was fathering uh, the congregation. He was helping uh, with Pastor John's leadership. He was helping shape where we were going to be and how we were going to go. And then later on, as district superintendent, uh, he fathered AECN still again, and uh, I don't use that term loosely. I, I use it in every weight that it carries. Uh, a father disciplines, a father corrects, a father encourages, a father trains, a father builds up. And Pastor Ian, you've done that, both to the congregation and to me personally. And uh, you continue to do that in your new responsibilities as national director. Uh, and you do that not only to us here, but across the nation. So we're honored to have you with us today. So why don't you come up here? Uh, I can't introduce him well enough. We just want to pray for you and bless you as you minister to us. Father, we thank you for this man of God. We thank you for this, your child, your mature son, that you have been growing up. And Lord, for him, for Pat, for their family, we thank you for them, and we just ask, Lord, that as he 
shares from his heart that your heart would come through, that we would be blessed through him and that he would be blessed in ministering to us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Oh, Pastor Bud Valley. Bud Valley. Oh, this appeared. Yeah. Wow. I was looking around to see if I should pull that and an angel brought this desk. Sacred desk. Well, good. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Good afternoon. It's so good to see you. I, um, I'm happy to be able to share with you the word of God. You know, uh, this introduction sort of blows me away because how can you look so young and be a father? No, no, no. <laughs> you know, the reality is that I'll be 68 years old in December. And so, 68, yeah. And uh, so, that means when I turn 70, I have to quit what I'm doing. Can you believe that? Our denomination has a rule for uh, an officer in the church, which is what I am. You have to, you've got to hang up your soccer boots at 70. So, I don't know what I'll be doing after that, but if you've got a role for me here, I've told you before, that this would be the church of choice, uh, congregation of choice. And so I, I'll just come and I'll sweep up downstairs if you need me to, but I need a place to serve. It is a joy. Uh, you know, of the things that Pastor Haney said, the most important thing that I do is that I represent Jesus Christ. I am an ambassador of Christ. Therefore, I can make no apologies for what I would ever say about Jesus. He is Lord. He is God. Paul's words to the Colossian church in the first chapter make that very, very clear to all of us that everything that you would see in Jesus, you would find in God. And everything you would find in God, you will see in Jesus. So as we were singing these great songs, Aaron, I tell you what, you burn so many calories up here, it just makes me a little envious. But your heart is in this. And I remember asking Aaron maybe a couple of times to lead our worship at something called District Assembly, and he, through God's help, he lit the fire. And, uh, you know, the band, I tell you, thank you for your participation this morning, all of you, the three of you, let's show our appreciation. So this morning, I do want to talk to you about the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is Jesus. Now, this message is one that I believe needs to be heard in the Western world. There is a tendency in the Western world to talk about a generic God. And that's great. I mean, we cannot speak about God without our hearts going to the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus, God made flesh and dwelling amongst us. But I believe that there needs to be a specific emphasis placed on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
He is the difference maker in our world. For he is not only our peace, but he is our hope. Our hope is in nothing else, only Jesus. And as a 21-year-old human being, I realized that. I had been raised in the Methodist church back in Northern Ireland. I had gone to Sunday school. I had done it all. John Wesley had even preached from the pulpit that our pastor would preach from. But at 16 years of age, I decided no more. No more. I'm gone. And so I went out into the world. I'm not proud of that, but I made a choice. But at 21 years of age, through a terrible illness, I returned to the feet of Jesus. And I asked him to be my savior. Now, what does that mean? I didn't ask him to be my friend. I didn't ask him to be my companion. I asked him to be my savior because he was the only one that could. He shed his blood. We've been singing about this this morning. He shed his blood to forgive me of my sins, which were many. And today I stand before you because of that event. Not because of years of service, not because of being a father, which I'm glad you think I am and I received that, but because one day I bowed my knee before Jesus and I asked him to come into my heart and to stay there. So all these years, he is with me. Now, this is the message that John the Baptist was trying to share. In fact, successfully he shared in the River Jordan. As he stood there in the River Jordan, a place of tremendous history, a place where in the Old Testament we read so much about the children of Israel crossing from east of the Jordan into the promised land. And so here we have John the Baptist, who, by the way, is an Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist is not a New Testament prophet because the sacrifice had not yet happened. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets who is the voice crying in the wilderness declaring that the one who is to come after him actually came before him. Now think of that. He is declaring an absolute mystery. And if we had been there, we would be scratching our heads saying, could you explain that to me for just a moment? Here's what the prophet Isaiah said. A voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all mankind. This is the Lamb. 
the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all mankind and we will see it. So it's not just a revelation in our minds. We're going to see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John the Baptist, he now gets the attention of the congregation. So it's a crowd. Let's call it a congregation. They are there at the lowest point on earth. I'm sure many of you have been there, but I just happen to love that part of the world. And a couple of years ago, just before COVID, when we were in Jordan, we went to the uh, closest part of Jordan, to the Jordan Valley, and we were on a rooftop of, of a home we were visiting and just looked over into this place. If, if, the, if the heat haze had not been there, if my eyes had been good enough, I would have been able to see Jericho. I would have been able to get that same view that Moses got when he looked across, but Moses never got to get across. Well, that's not quite true. He, he actually did. And we know that Moses went across, but not at that time because he appears in the transfiguration, wasn't it? So we see him just south of Nazareth on a hill there where he appears demonstrating that the law and the prophets can coexist in the person of Jesus. And so John the Baptist now, who comes long after Moses, is in the water and he is declaring these words. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And according to the narrative in Scripture, John chapter 1, you can read that a little bit later, that is the benediction for the day, the first day. It's, it's over now. The events of the first day are over with those words that John the Baptist says because the narrative says, the next day, the Pharisees who had been sent returned. They returned and they heard John the Baptist say one more time, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I was speaking of yesterday. So let's go back to yesterday. John the Baptist is speaking to you at the River Jordan and he says there's somebody here amongst us who is going to change your life forever. Now if you were there, what would you do? I would be looking around. I mean, which, which one? Which one is it? Oh yeah, it looks like him. Oh yeah, yeah, it looks... That's the one over there, but they didn't. They went away, came back the next day, and John the Baptist re-emphasizes what he said yesterday. He said, listen, there's the Lamb of God right there. And you can just imagine as Jesus is 
He's not floating in their midst, but he's walking in their midst. He's there, and John is saying again, there he is. Don't mistake this. He takes away the sin of the world. And then the narrative continues. And here is where we have a dynamic movement of God's spirit. The next day. So this just didn't happen on one day. It is interesting that we are now in the third day of John the Baptist's declaration of Jesus. You can make the connection if you want. But here we are in the third day of John the Baptist. Declaring the Lamb of God. But this time he declares it to his disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. It wasn't just Jesus that had disciples. Because he didn't have them yet. But John the Baptist had disciples. And it's interesting who those disciples were. Verse 35 of John 1. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, there's the Lamb of God. They would immediately know that he had talked about him yesterday. And he had talked about him the day before. And when the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, John the Baptist must have been a very spiritual person because if he wasn't, he would say, hey, wait a minute. Five seconds ago, you were with me. And now you're going with him? Let me tell you something, Pastor Haney. The reason why I was privileged to be a part of the development of this ministry is because I, like you, do not have the spirit of competition. And I pray that none of you in this room, in this sanctuary will have that because John the Baptist gladly dispatched his disciples, two of them, and there's a connection here that's going to absolutely amaze you. When those two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus and turning around, Jesus must have been walking away. Jesus turns and he said, what do, you, what do you want? Not what do you want, but what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was and they spent the day with him and now it was about the 10th hour. Have you ever spent the day with Jesus? I mean the whole day. Like, have you ever departed to a better place where there's quiet and there's rest and you're away from the Pharisees who have been sent to destroy your party and now you get to spend the day with Jesus? If you were able to spend the day with Jesus, what would you say? What would you talk about? Like, what would be the topic of conversation? You know, I think I would say this. Do you know a good Armenian restaurant where we can get Lachmajun? <laughs> I might say, 
Can we go somewhere for kebab? Or can we go somewhere for falafel? I, I love it. I wouldn't say that at all. Because I would already be feeling full. I wouldn't be hungry if I was in the presence of Jesus. I would be filled with his presence. I would be filled with his presence. I would get to spend the day. Listen, if we do not get used to spending the day with Jesus, how are we ever going to spend eternity with him? If Jesus makes us feel awkward and uncomfortable now, we need to fix it because we're going to spend forever with him. And just the look from his eyes are going to say it all. These two disciples of John who now got to spend the day with Jesus are significant players. So they spent the day and suddenly they looked at their watch and it was the 10th hour. Now listen, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those two who heard what John had said. One of those two who followed Jesus. And the first thing, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Christ. We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Peter. <laughs> now think of that. If that hadn't happened, where would we be? Now we have a Peter who is going to take the gospel message primarily to the Jewish people who would believe on Jesus. And he came out of the ministry of the disciples of John the Baptist. I mean, I just think that's amazing. There's nothing accidental about this. It's all on purpose. Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world is a statement. But the two disciples who ended up going with Jesus put the statement into action and one of them, well, both of them, one became a disciple of Jesus, both of them did, and one of them became the identifying marker for ministry to the Jew. Now, do you think John the Baptist's ministry was successful? The voice crying in the wilderness, the prophet Isaiah saying that this would happen, that not only would we hear it, but we would see the presence of Jesus. And this is not just a prophetic message for the first arrival of Jesus. We're going to see in a moment that this is a prophetic message for the second coming of Jesus. I was in meetings all week, and in one of those meetings, we had a person who was, had a different interpretation about the work of salvation and a different interpretation about the meaning of heaven. And I decided that I needed to speak to him about that in the forum and 
that we had a good debate and so on and so forth, but, but I can tell you something. I didn't convince him. I didn't convince him that one day Jesus is coming back and there are going to be two resurrections. There's going to be the resurrection onto eternal life with him and there's going to be the resurrection onto damnation. I don't take joy in saying that. That's not something I want to jump up and down because when I was 21, my resurrection would have been into the latter. But it is a reality. And don't let the modern world, don't even let the modern church world tell you any difference. When John the Baptist stood in the River Jordan with the waters lapping his ankles or maybe up to his knees, it was for the purpose of declaring a solution to the problem of the fall. It was for the purpose of giving us the answer to life's issues, the greatest of which is sin. And all of life's issues are the result of sin. And he took a great risk. For those Pharisees who came, who had been sent to spy on him, would then come together with the political power of the day and John the Baptist would lose his head for the sake of that declaration. But there is an interesting part to this. Before he did, he sent his disciples. So Andrew, and he had gone with the other but there were still some disciples of John the Baptist left and he sent them to who? He sent them to Jesus. And even after being his cousin, even after being the one who declared that this was Jesus and John the Baptist only knew it was Jesus, by the way, because God had told him, the one upon whom my spirit descends, that's him. That's a mystery to me because John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. Would he have not known him as a boy? Well, maybe he would have known him as a boy, but they lost touch, obviously, because the only way he recognized him was God's anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him. And then he sent his disciples and he said to Jesus, are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? Now that might cause you a little concern, but I think it's one of the greatest questions in all of scripture. Because if we put our entire lives into the hands of somebody else, we wanna be 100% sure that that somebody else is the right one. If we're gonna give our tithes and our offerings for the cause of his church, we want to be sure that he's the right one. If we're going to give of our time and our energies and our efforts and maybe even our lives, don't we want to be sure he's the right one? And he is. Because time has proved it and eternity will fulfill it. You look back and you see him, this wonderful, beautiful Jesus who is the promised hope. It's a message not only for Christmas, it's a message for every day of the year. This beautiful Jesus is the true hope. He is the eternal hope. He is the hope for every day. And he's the hope that does not disappoint. 
That's what the scripture says. He's the hope that does not disappoint. I've told this story before. I'm not sure if I've told it here, but if I have, just pretend this is the first time you've heard it. So my dad passed away several years ago, and my mom just a few years ago. But um, while my mom was still living, my dad had gone um, to heaven, I believe, with all my heart. My mom, I called her every Sunday before I headed off to wherever I was going. And because it was a five-hour time difference, it meant that I could call her early in the morning. She would just be getting home from service, the morning service. And one day she said, son, she said, your dad's Aunt Mary uh, has, uh, has passed away. Okay, I, I, you know, I remember Aunt Mary, my dad's Aunt Mary. And she said, she left your dad something in her will. But your dad is gone, so that now automatically passes to you and to your brother and to your sister. Now, that has never happened to me ever in my life where I've been left something in somebody else's will. So I didn't know how to handle it. Like I thought, this is, this is all right. Now, I'm so sorry for Aunt Mary or my dad's Aunt Mary, but we're going to get something. <laughs> and so uh, she said, just watch the mail every well, she called it the post. Watch the post every day. Probably in another week or two, you'll receive the check. So I said to Pat, Pat, you know, go and buy yourself something nice because the check will be in and, and we'll be able to take care of it. I might even have said, go book a cruise. So one week passes, there's nothing. Two weeks pass. There's nothing. Now, I'm getting a little anxious, but I tell you, I am, I am, I'm still expecting the best here. And a month passes, and there's nothing in the mail. Two months. Three months. Now, I'm beginning to feel a little pressure, but I'm still enjoying the ride, right? Because one of these days, the boat, the ship is coming in. <laughs> so the day arrived when... The envelope was there in the mailbox. It, I'll, I'll never forget. It was a brown envelope. It had the British postal marks on it. It was from a solicitor. So I knew <laughs> this is it. I opened the envelope. My hands are shaking. Now, some of you are thinking that I'm just so greedy, aren't you? You think, I'm not really greedy. But look, put yourself in my shoes, right? Don't judge until you've walked a mile in my shoes. We're all, we've all been there. <laughs> so I, I open up the envelope. There's a card there. But I put the card to one side because there's a check there. And the check seemed to be more important than the card. I can read that tonight. But right now, I have bills to pay. I opened it up and the check is there. It's made out to me. The spelling is right. Pay to the order of Ian, David Ian Fitzpatrick. The full name is there. And I looked then at the amount. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was, but the tithe on that amount was 79 cents. That's exactly what I did. I shouted up to Pat because she said, I'm going to be sick, I'm going to be sick. I can't. 
I can't take it. I can't take it. I'm going to be sick. I, I said, Pat, cancel the cruise. <laughs> take the coat back to Sears, because Sears was open then. One of the reasons why it's not open now, by the way. All the returns. 79. I still have that check. I didn't even cash it. I, I thought, God bless my dad's Aunt Mary. She must have really loved him. And that was, so I called my brother. I said, Tom, did you get your check? <laughs> he, he actually ended up getting more than I did because of the exchange. I lost money in the exchange to Canadian dollars. Please forgive me for this laughter, but, you know, those three months were some of the most amazing three months of my life. Now, that day was horrible because it was a big disappointment. But the three months leading up to that day, and this is the point I want to make, were some of the most terrific days of my life because every day I got up thinking, this might be the day. Tomorrow, this might be the day. I couldn't wait to get up. I wanted to wake up as early as I could, and I would even have brought the postman in for a coffee. Like, I was excited. And the point of the matter is this, that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ does not disappoint like the hope I had in my dad's Aunt Mary. And every day we live, friends, you should get up excited that this might be the day. Amen. The day what? The day that Jesus comes back to this earth to take his church home. Amen. This might be the day. It, it, it probably will be a Sunday. Don't you think that would be a good day for Jesus to come back? You know... A lot of Christians take a nap on Sunday afternoon. How many of you take a nap on Sunday afternoon? Just three of you? Four of you? In the middle of that nap, Jesus is coming back. So keep your clothes on the chair beside you so that you'll be able to go. Listen, going home today, if you have the chance to pass a graveyard... Take a look over, because you're going to be there one day. But here's the good news. The good news is that on the day the lamb returns, the dead who are in him will rise first. Even my Aunt Mary. <laughs> I'm going to see her. I'm going to say, ah, you played a trick on me. <laughs> My mom and dad are going to rise up. My aunt and uncle, my grandma and grandpa, they're going to rise up and I'm going to see them. And just as I'm looking at them, whoosh, I'm up there. Now, this is not a fairy tale. This is not Disney World. This is the truth. This is the truth. And it's all about the lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world so that we could have eternal life. Adam and Eve, they fell in the Garden of Eden. I heard a preacher last week 
talk about that, and I thought it was fantastic, so I want to give full credit to the preacher. I just forget his name. So this is not original with me. But he talked about the shame that they felt when they actually disobeyed God. And they saw that they were naked, and in that nakedness they were ashamed. But the nakedness had nothing to do with having no clothes on. The nakedness had everything to do with being outside of the covering of God. Think about that. And it was that shame that was destroying them and destroyed every human being that came into the world since Adam and Eve. And this lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is the solution to that. That's why we need to emphasize Jesus. Not at the cost of the Father, not at the cost of the Spirit, but Jesus, who is our Lamb. This Lamb of God is your companion at every stage of life. He's a companion to the teenager who just already thinks that they own the world. We've all been there. Didn't we think that? We're, you know, a 68-year-old couldn't really know anything about life, so we know it all. And then the teenager becomes 20-something when university comes in and the bills that accompany that pile in. This Lamb of God is the companion to the 20-something who's really struggling to make it in the first world now, pre or post-COVID. Then you're into your 30s and you find your life's mate. You're setting up home and you realize how difficult that is. The challenges of everything, the lamb, is yours for that time in life. Into your 40s now. The children have arrived, Aaron. I'm not saying you're in your 40s, but they're there. You have a big responsibility now that you never had before. You're trying to raise them in the right way. The lamb is sufficient. Look, the lamb of God. And you're into your 50s. And you begin to think a little bit about mortality. You begin to think a little bit about the life that you're now living. And now you're beginning to pay for other bills that aren't yours. And you're into your 60s. And now you're really beginning to think about mortality. The lamb is your savior for that time in your life. And into your 70s where you're attending more funerals than weddings. And you look around for your friends and they've all gone. They have already succumbed to this penalty of death that comes through sin, the lamb. And in the midst of that, the 40-something is looking for your job. You don't know what to do. Your self-worth is wrapped up in what you do rather than who you are. The lamb is the answer to that challenge. And into your 80s, if God allows you to be there, you begin now to really deal with eternal things. The lamb is there for every stage. His name is Jesus. There's an interesting scripture in the book of Exodus that gives instructions to the household of faith. It says, when you prepare for the Passover, 
you take a lamb. Take a lamb for every household. Now this is so important. Take a lamb for every household. And if the lamb is bigger than you need, according to the size of your house, give it to your neighbor so that there is opportunity for all to enjoy the lamb. What a message that is to the church today. When John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, he knew about the Old Testament. And the modern day preacher now says, friends, Take the lamb for your household. You may have loved ones in your household that aren't saved. Take the lamb for your household. And if you do have the privilege of having family, household salvation, pass what you don't need of that lamb by first taking all that you need. That's what the scripture says. You pass it on to your neighbor who hasn't even heard about him. Evangelism 101, the love of God, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Not even to mention the book of Revelation, which talks over and over and over and over again about the Lamb, who was the only one who was able to take the scroll and unroll it The lamb is not this little pathetic animal. The lamb is the king of glory. His name is Jesus. How can you have a gospel without Jesus? I pray that now, and I know the faithfulness of your preacher, but from this day forward, take the lamb into the world and take him for yourself. I want us to listen to a song that I think is so, so special. And uh, I, I like to walk. And when I walk, I listen to the song and I just put it on repeat and repeat and repeat. And I want you to just close your eyes and listen to it because it's all about the Lamb. This is called preparation for the song. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus. Give me 
you stand with me? Uh, Aaron, do you have that key there? Is that what you were trying to do? I, I could see you. Oh, let's sing it together again. like to come and kneel before his throne here. Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. And then when I am alone, And when 
I am alone, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Can't you just see him? Can't you see the beauty of his face? Can't you see the nail-scarred hands? His wounded side. It's just for you. It's just for you. for life and it's for the moment of death the gift of eternity Jesus give me Jesus you can have all this world give me Jesus And when I come to die, when I come to die, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. 
Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. The morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Yes, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus You can have all this world Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Have all this world Give me Jesus, you can have all this world. Give me Jesus. As we're in this holy, holy moment, if you have never made the decision to receive the grace that God has for you in this land. If you have never made that jump from pre-understanding of God's grace, if you have never made the decision to receive Him as your own Lamb that takes away your sin, today is the day. Today is that day. Just lift up your hand. I'll acknowledge you real quick. And then we'll pray together. Amen. I see your hands. Just pray with me in your heart. Father in heaven, I thank you for the grace that you have sent through your Son, the mercy the forgiveness of my sin. While I may not understand all of it, I know you love me. I know you forgive me because of his death on the cross in my place. So right now, I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your indwelling of your presence through the Holy Spirit. I am now a new creation, born of above, born of your Spirit. I receive your goodness. I receive your mercy. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Thank you for making me your child. 
Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time today, please come and see me or Pastor Ian after the service. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. We have Bibles that we can give you. God bless you and thank you for your decision today. It's life-changing. Pastor Ian shared about how he had gone through that transformation as a young man. And today is your day. Pastor Ian, thank you for the word. Thank you for the authority and the power of the word that flows through you. If I can have you come up and just bless us as we wrap up the service. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in that blessing.